Well, this morning we are concluding our four-week series that we have been calling Misconceptions. And we've been looking at some of the common misconceptions that we can have when it comes to our Christian faith. In week one, we considered the question, do my good works matter? Do I have to do enough good works to earn my acceptance before God? In week two, we explored the question, does life with Jesus get easier the longer that you live it? Last week, we looked at what does eternal life mean? So often when we think of eternal life, we think of a destination and a period of time, which that is eternal life, yes. But as Rusty explained last week, it's also a relationship. That when we receive eternal life, it's a relationship for all eternity with God. And if you've missed any of those messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. And as we conclude our series today, this is our question. What happens after we die? And to narrow the focus, we are asking what happens to the believer in Christ when they die? The believer, the one that has placed their faith, their trust, their reliance, not on themselves, but on what Christ has done for them. The one that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. What happens to the believer when they die? Now, before we look at what happens after we die, we need to ask this question. Why do we die? What does God's word say about why we as humans die in the first place? You know, so often when a person dies, particularly if they are older, uh, we say they died of natural causes, meaning that they didn't die from cancer or some other disease, but basically their body wore out and this person died. And we, we all know what we mean by that. But what we need to understand is that we, humanity, was created by God and we were not created to die. For us, death is actually unnatural. Humans were meant to live with God for all eternity as both soul and body. That is what we are, a physical body, but also a soul, a spirit. But what we find from the opening pages of the Bible is that because of the sin of Adam, Adam, the first human who was our representative, because of his rebellion against God, sin entered the world. God said to him, do not eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you die, you will die, or if you do, you will die both physically but also spiritually. Now, you may get caught up with this tree and the, and the fruit, and this kind of sounds strange, and, and I understand that. But what God was saying to Adam and Eve is, Do you trust me? Do you love me enough to not eat from this fruit? That was the real test. But Adam and Eve, in their rebellion, they, they go against what God said. They thought there was a better way, and so they eat from that fruit. They're basically telling God, we do not love you. We do not trust you. And because of this, we label it the fall, the fall of humankind, because we fell from our position before God. Adam and Eve, they dwelt with God. They enjoyed him in a way that we do not experience currently. But because of their sin, they fell from this high position. And their nature was sinful now. Our nature is now sinful. And so we have this sinful nature, but also we choose to sin. And we need to understand that our sin is not just some little mistake here or there. No, when we sin, it is an act of rebellion against God. We are saying we choose our way, God, over your way. It's a big deal. 
We so often want to make it small and minimalize it, but it is rebellion against our creator, God. And God, because he is holy, because he is just, because he is righteous, we face the consequences of our sin and rebellion against him. As it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Due to sin, we die spiritually. We are dead spiritually. But this also then leads to our physical death. And this is what we looked at in week one in Ephesians chapter two, when Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But yet in that wonderful chapter in Ephesians two, Paul goes on to say in verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in these transgressions and sins. He said, it is by grace that you have been saved. For those that place their faith in Christ, we've been given new life. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been forgiven of our rebellion. And though we are not perfect, we now desire to love God, to be obedient to God. And no longer do we have to fear our great enemy, death. Through faith in Christ, we've been made new. We've been given new life, eternal life. But if believers have been given this new life, it can lead to this second question. Why do believers still die? I mean, I get it. In our sinful condition, we're to die. As it said again in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but we've been given this new life, so why do we die? And one of the reasons is because we still live in this fallen world. In Romans chapter 8, it says that the creation groans to be made new. And so though we've been given this new life in Christ, and we no longer have to face the punishment for our individual sins, we still live in this fallen world where the effects of sin, sin are still present. And they're still present as God continues to work his plan of redemption. And so as believers, we will face sickness. We will experience disease. We will age. And though our great enemy death has been defeated and we no longer have to fear death, death has not been totally destroyed yet. And so though we experience this spiritual life, we will still die physically. And because we will die, unless Jesus comes back first, we need to understand what happens to the believer after they die. Now, I want to let you know up front, we're going to be looking at a number of passages and, and moving uh, pretty quick. We have quite a bit of ground to, to cover. And so uh, I'll let you know the passage. You know, it's also on the screen. Uh, feel free to, you know, take a picture uh, so you can go back uh, to it later. The first thing that we need to understand is this, that after we die, the soul of the believer immediately goes into the presence of God. Let me show you a few passages where we find this. The first passage to look at is, Luke chapter 23, verses 42 to 43. Luke 23, 42 to 43. In this passage, we find Jesus on the cross. And on either side of Jesus are two criminals, and they are also being crucified. And what's amazing, as they are first crucified, they are mocking and ridiculing Christ. Can you imagine that, being next to the Son of God and, and mocking him to his face? But yet one of these criminals, something changes. And it may be because of the darkness that descended on the land. It was the middle of the day, but yet there was this great darkness. Maybe he heard Jesus praying or, or quoting scripture. 
Maybe he saw how Jesus was handling this situation as awful as it was, but whatever it was, he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is Friday of the crucifixion. Jesus would die and be buried in a tomb and his new resurrected body, he would not arise until Sunday. But yet Jesus says to this man, today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in heaven. This man had died an agonizing death along with Christ. But in the moment that he died, in that very moment, he went immediately his soul to be with Christ in heaven. Another passage that we need to consider is that from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament letter of Philippians in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. In this letter to the Philippians, Paul, uh, he loved all the churches that he planted, but particularly this one. They, they held a special place in his heart. And Paul, because he's been sharing the gospel, he's been living out his faith, he's been arrested. And he's in chains in prison. And he's not sure if he's going to get out. He thinks he may get released from prison, but he also is wondering he may be executed for his faith. And so he writes to them and he says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul is saying, if I'm released from these chains, if I get out of prison, I can keep sharing the faith. I can keep planting churches. He's saying it will be good for others. It will be a fruitful ministry. But he goes on and says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, he says, which is far better. I mean, what a statement. Most of us live in such a way that we will do everything we can to keep on living on this earth. But Paul so desired to be with Christ Jesus that he was actually conflicted. Part of him wanted to stay, but part of him wanted uh, to go to be with Christ. He loved Christ. He, he desired to depart this world and to be with him, which he says again is far better. And so no matter the situation, Paul did not fear death. Because if he kept living, it meant he could keep serving God. But yet if he died, his soul would immediately go to be with the Lord. And then one more passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, again, this is Paul. He's saying of himself and his uh, partners in the ministry, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, twice in my life, I've had the experience of seeing somebody take their last breath. Uh, they, they were breathing, you know, in and out. It's, it's a very surreal experience to, to see them take that last breath, that as they're breathing and then no more breath. But what is so comforting from these passages and what was comforting for me because I knew that they knew the Lord Jesus because they had placed their faith in him in that moment when they quit breathing, their soul immediately went to be with God. And so these passages are to be comforting for us that we don't have to fear death. Yet what happens really is when we, we die because this is so comforting is we know that our soul is with the Lord. We don't have to, to fear that moment of death because we will be far better, as Paul says, in the presence of our Lord. But as good as it is, 
for our soul to immediately go into the presence of God after our death, there is something much better. And that is to be reunited with our bodies when we receive new glorified bodies. Staying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said he desires to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But this is not the ultimate state that Paul desires. No, Paul desires that one day he will receive a new glorified body. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are, are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul is giving this metaphor of a tent and a building and being clothed. And he says our current bodies are like a tent. So let's think of, of camping. I know some of you love camping. I did a lot of uh, camping and canoeing when I was in my 20s. I was good for about one night of camping. Then I wanted to get back home. And the tent, it did, a, it did a fine job. You know, it was sturdy enough. You could sleep in it. You could eat in it if you need to. If it started raining, some covering. But yet it was temporary. And this is why I long to be in my home. And this is what Paul is saying, is that a tent does the job, but there is something so much better. There is this building that we will one day be in. And because we are created both body and soul, Paul, he's kind of mixing the metaphors a little bit. But what he says is, yes, it's good for our souls to be in the presence of God, but there is something better. And as we await our new bodies, it's like we're unclothed. And we don't want to stay in that position. We want to be clothed with this new building because it is better. It is more permanent. It is longer lasting. Now, the question here is, when do we receive these new bodies? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 15, of when we receive these new glorified, transformed bodies. We read this, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a, a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now I realize there are so, all sorts of, of views on the exact timing of this event of the return of Jesus. So I believe that a great tribulation has to take place first. Other believers think that we won't go through that tribulation period. Others think that the great commission, as they interpret it, is still incomplete and must be done prior to the time that Christ comes back. So it's like all these different boxes have to be checked before Jesus can return. But I'm a simple man, all right? And what we are told in Scripture is that we are to be expectant and hopeful and ready for the return of Christ. 
And to me, this means if all these boxes have to be checked, I'm not hoping and longing as much because all these things have to take place. But I don't believe that's what we see in Scripture. No, we are to long for Christ's return. And I think that means that any moment Jesus can come back. That's what gives me hope. And so here's the timeline. You die. You're immediately your soul is ushered into the presence of God in heaven. And then Jesus comes back. And those that are in heaven that are just disembodied souls, they are reunited with their new glorified body. And those on the earth are transformed in a moment and they receive their new bodies and both go to meet Christ in the air to welcome him to this earth. And then we will be with him for all eternity. That is what we long for. That is what we hope for. And you might be saying that's great, but what will these bodies be like? And here we are only given some glimpses. We don't have a full picture. But here are some things we do know. Going back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when it comes to Jesus' resurrected body, there was a a continuity, but also a discontinuity. And what I mean is that some things about Jesus' body were the same, but other things were different. So for example, when Jesus showed himself to his disciples and followers, they would eventually recognize him, but it took some time. Now, this is some speculation, but some theologians think that maybe Jesus looked younger. Jesus had a very hard three years of public ministry. He was called a man of sorrows. He had been brutally beaten and crucified. So maybe he was kind of restored, refreshed, so to speak. Maybe he looked younger. So there were some differences with Jesus. But some of the things were the same. Jesus still had the marks from the nails in his hand. Jesus, after his resurrection, partly to show his disciples and followers that he actually had a new physical body, he ate food with them. He told them to to hold him and to touch them. And so we find with Jesus this continuity, but also this discontinuity that we will have. And so when we receive our new body, People will be able to recognize you, but you'll also be different. Now, if you're worried that some of the things about yourself that you don't really like will continue on, I want to give you hope. One of the things for me is that I will have new hair, flowing locks just like Rusty, all right? You will recognize me, but I will be different. I want to share a little story. So a couple years ago, Rusty had shoulder uh, surgery, so he was out and And we got a call to do this funeral, and it wasn't someone connected exactly to our church. And so he was out, so I got the call to to go in. And and I go in, and I meet with the the funeral director. She's very nice. And she said, the the way I found you guys was to go to the website. And I was looking at the the page with all the staff, and she said, is that your senior pastor on on the very top of the webpage? And I said, yeah. She goes, he has beautiful hair. I said, yes, it is beautiful and she goes, is it really like that? And I said, yes, it's, it's really like that. And then I stood there looking at her going, surely you're going to say something nice about me. And she just moved on and said, you ready to go in? So no compliment for me. But in the new heaven and the new earth with this new body, flowing locks of hair. And so whatever you don't like about yourself, either one, it will be renewed. 
Or two, you won't care anymore. You'll be glad that you're with Christ. Now, while there is some mystery of what our new bodies will be like, we do know this from 1 Corinthians 15, that our new bodies that are perishable and mortal will be imperishable and eternal. Our bodies that have sin will be sinless. Our bodies that are weak and sore and break down, they will be raised, it says, in power. No longer will our bodies wear out. Won't that be so awesome? No more pain. No more hurting. No more struggle. That old tent of a body will be replaced with this new body, this new building. And these new glorified bodies are prepared for us in the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to get to that shortly. But first, we need to understand that after our death, the believer will face the judgment of Christ. We read this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as people, all people are destined to die once, and then it says after that to face judgment, both believers and unbelievers. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things that we did in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I don't know what strikes fear into you, what really grabs your attention. But when I think about the judgment of Christ, this grabs my attention. And it would cause fear if it weren't for placing our faith in Christ and him taking our judgment. See, on the cross, Jesus took our judgment. He bore the penalty for our sin. And so when we put our trust, when we put our reliance on what he did for us, no longer will we be condemned. And we praise God for his mercy and his grace on our behalf. And so while we will face this judgment of Christ, what we need to understand is that believers do not face this judgment for punishment, but instead to receive our eternal rewards. Now, to be clear, as we talked about in week one, it's not that we're trying to earn these rewards, trying to earn our acceptance before God. No, we have the acceptance of God. And because we are thankful for that, because of the grace that we received, out of gratitude, we are motivated to please God, knowing that one day we will give an account for our lives. And because of God's grace, he will provide us with these eternal rewards. Now, hearing this about eternal rewards might be kind of new information uh, to you. And you might be saying, if some people get these rewards and others get this, well, it's caused some type of kind of envy. And that won't be the case. You know, close friends of ours, when something great happens to them, we're so thankful and we're excited for them. But so often, even in that, right, we can have a little bit of envy, but it won't be like that in heaven. When we see someone else's reward, we will delight in that. We will praise God that he was so faithful and kind to reward them in that way. And so we won't have this kind of competitiveness. No, we will delight in their reward. We will delight in our own reward, but more than that, we will delight in the rewards that God gave all of us, that he is so gracious to us. And so when it comes to these rewards, and, and I don't know what it all is going to look like, but let that encourage us and motivate us to serve God in whatever task or calling that he has for us. Because when we serve him in this way, we know that it carries with it eternal significance. And then lastly, and we'll be brief here, after death, 
the believer will live forever with God in the new creation. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, we read these amazing words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Just a quick note, in the Bible, when it talks of the sea of water, it means disorder and chaos of brokenness. And so what John, the author, is saying here is that when it, there's no longer any sea, it means that there's no more chaos and disorder in the world. So those that you that love to swim and boat, I don't want you to be worried by that, all right? And then John, he continues, he says, I saw the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The brokenness and the sin in our world, and I don't know about you, but especially these last few years, that it just weighs so heavy. But there is coming a day when that brokenness will be no more, when this world will be renewed. No more sin, no more brokenness, no more suffering, no more tears, and no more death. The old things of this world have passed away, and God will be with us and dwell with us forever. And we will get to enjoy him for all eternity. And so as we conclude, what happens when you die? The soul of the believer immediately goes into the presence of God. And then at Christ's return, our soul is reunited with our new glorified bodies. And we will live in the new heaven and the new earth with God for all time. And so this is what we long for. This is what we hope for. This is what is to comfort us. And we keep pressing forward, looking to that day when all things will be made new. Please bow your head and close your eyes. For those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, it is my desire that these words provide you with hope and comfort as you long to be with God and as we hope for Christ's return when all things will be made new. But I also need to tell you, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, the somber reality is that the judgment of Christ is coming. And if you have not turned to him for all eternity, you will be separated from God in a place called hell. But instead of taking that judgment, turn to Christ. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin. And when you do, you will be cleansed of your sin. You will be made right. And God will not only be your creator, but also your heavenly father. You will have a relationship with him for all eternity in the new creation. And it may be today that you are ready to be baptized. The Lord continues to bless us with so many baptisms. And if that is you today, you want to take that next step. We are ready for you today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, th we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. Lord, that we no longer have to fear death. 
And Lord, we are thankful that at our death, we will be ushered into your presence and that one day we will be with you for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you provide us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that makes us all possible. And we ask this in his name, amen.